Father, we just thank you for Adrian and the word he's going to bring to us. That land that is where we'll never grow old, the kingdom of God. And Lord, we're a kingdom people, and we ask that you would help us to understand what it means to be a kingdom person, what your kingdom's about, what your kingdom purposes are about. And we thank you that Adrian is going to bring this word, Lord, and share with us. We ask that you would be with him this morning, that his words might penetrate our heart, that we might know who you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, Willow Burn. Welcome to 2017. Welcome to our guests as well. Uh, welcome, BJ. Welcome, Kathy. Welcome, Becky. 2017, who would have thought? Uh, so I know some of us are at varying degrees of tiredness. I actually didn't sleep real well last night either, but I actually get to stand up, so it's highly unlikely that I'll fall asleep. And if I do, we're all in a world of hurt. Uh, <laughs> In fact, I was sharing with some of the blokes before at uh, Duntroon when I was there at the Royal Military College. They used to have this big mud model room and they would set it all up. And actually, I'll show you something later on that'll tie in, hopefully. But they would set it all up in, and recreate battles. So they would actually recreate the terrain using little models and so forth. And we'd all sit there as cadets and normally we'd have like double session of PT or something. And we'd sit there, it'd be after lunch, big meal at the mess kind of thing. And of course, the obvious thing would happen. Everyone would start to do these ones. Um, and so they would often ask us just to stand up. Uh, and if you didn't stand up on this one particular day, they were teaching us about nuclear and biological warfare. So one of the instructors who was an engineer had a can of CS gas. Does anyone know what CS gas is? BJ might. Uh, tear gas. So one of the poor, hapless young cadets was doing the old kind of nodding kind of thing. And next thing, ksh, face full of CS gas. He didn't sleep again in that lecture. And neither did any of us. So anyway, I know you're probably a bit tired, but if you feel like you can stand up, I don't mind, stand up, and uh, if you feel like you're nodding off, hopefully it won't be that boring. But I just want to thank everyone as well for, there's just something about those share times. Um, you know, you could, even, you could have Billy Graham up here preaching, and he can't preach like that. He can't preach like Kathy just did to us, taught us about, you know, commitment to work. Like, she's looking forward to work. Uh, you know, hearing from Alan how he read the Bible five times and the effect that his parents had, that's a type of teaching that even Billy Graham can't bring because it's a testimonial type teaching of what God has done. And then hearing from everyone else and Ben and everyone, thank you so much for sharing because that really teaches me and encourages me. So I just really wanted to thank you for that as a little bit of an aside. So Tim Somerval uh, invited me to see Hacksaw Ridge and it was kind of interesting because I've been thinking a long time about preaching and, I'd, and the, the, the sermon had pretty much come together and then I saw Hacksaw Ridge and I was like, wow, this ties in so well. Has anyone seen Hacksaw Ridge? Now I must say it is a very violent film. Uh, Mel Gibson is probably, that's his strength I think, is taking the shock and, and, and you know, the metal against flesh kind of violence that you see in warfare and it's not, I don't find it to be glorified at all. I mean, if you go into that movie and you come out thinking war is cool, then you're just foolish. Like, it's not. It's horrible. Um, but there's something about that movie, Hacksaw Ridge, that just has this, this, this glory about it. There's nothing to do with victory and nothing to do with battle. It's something completely different. And it's to do with this guy called Desmond Doss, who he managed to resolve this profound tension. He is an SDA, so thank you, SDAs for uh, letting us use your building. <laughs> uh, he was a good Seventh-day Adventist guy, and, you know, an authentic Christian. And he saw that sixth uh, commandment about thou shalt not murder or thou shalt not kill, and he took it seriously. Now, I'm not going to deny to you that there are complexities with this because he decided to enlist but didn't want to carry a weapon. 
And at that time and in the battle that he ended up in, uh, the Japanese were actually targeting medics and medics would always carry weapons to defend themselves, but he refused. And because of his convictions, he was harassed and persecuted. Uh, he missed his wedding. They threw him in jail. Uh, they tried to basically, um, when they couldn't psych him out, so they put, took him to psychologists. They found out he wasn't loopy. When they couldn't get rid of him, then what they did was they started to basically bring so much pressure to bear on him that they, they wanted him to leave. And he just wouldn't. He was just so convicted. And as many times in the movie, he's going, just pick up the rifle. Like, just shoot a couple of rounds, you know. You don't even have to shoot anyone necessarily. Uh, but he just wouldn't do it. And then finally, we see uh, him get to Okinawa, and it's one of the most vicious battles in all of World War II. There's this massive 400-foot escarpment that they have to put a cargo net up, and they have to literally climb up a vertical incline to get to the top. He has no weapon. Uh, everyone else has weapons. And something amazing happens. Something amazing happens on this ridge. And like I said, there are complexities here. I mean. My, my grandparents fought on opposite sides in World War II. They carried arms and shot at each other. Well, my, my granddad and my opa did, okay? There's something I think that we all need to grapple with when we think about war, but in the periphery of the complexity, don't forget the core of what happened here. This, this is, God used this in such an amazing way. I didn't even know about this story. I, I find it amazing that I didn't know about it. So I'll just read you the citation from his medal, just so you know it's real, okay? So the present, this is um, the Medal of Honor. This is the highest bravery you know, award that you can get. The President of the United States of America, in the name of Congress, takes pleasure in presenting the Medal of Honor to Private First Class Desmond Thomas Doss, United States Army, for conspicuous gallantry in action, above and beyond the call of duty, in May 1945, while serving with the Medical Detachment 307th Infantry Regiment in action at Okinawa, Private First Class Doss was a company medic when the 1st Battalion assaulted a jagged escarpment 400 feet high, which you can see a bit of there. That's a, an original, uh, original photo. As our troops gained the summit, now this is just really understated, and this is why I encourage you to see the movie. I mean, don't take kids, but I encourage you to see the movie because it's just really understated in this citation about what happens next. As our troops gained the summit, a heavy concentration of artillery, mortar and machine gun fire crashed into them, inflicting approximately 75 casualties and driving the others back. Private Doss refused to seek cover and remained in the fire-swept area, with many stricken, carrying all 75 casualties one by one to the edge of the escarpment and there lowering them by a rope-supported litter down the face of a cliff to friendly hands. And one of the most powerful scenes you see in this movie is that he has been pretty much left behind. There's nothing but bodies and maimed and wounded people on top of this escarpment. It's getting dark. He's left her in the night and he just goes, he gets to the edge and he's actually about to go down the side himself with everyone else, with everyone else that's retreated and he prays. And he goes, what do you want me to do, God? <laughs> like, on the edge of the escarpment, he prays, what do you want me to do? And so before he goes down the side and before he decides to retreat with everyone else, it comes into his head that he's going to save people. He's a medic. So he goes out and he gets one. And, you know, he fireman carries him back, drags him back, does whatever he can. There's still Japanese. The Japanese are now starting to come back. Uh, and he starts to drag one by one. And every time he gets one, he, he hooks him up to this rope and he drags him and he goes, please, Lord, just one more. Now, like, I mean, the way we would be praying is, Lord, just please protect me, get me down the side of this hill. And he prays, please, Lord, just one more. 75 times he prays. He, he recovers pretty much his whole 
all the wounded from his company. And it's, it's done so well in the movie because all they see, because a 400-foot escarpment, this is a very high cliff, all you see is this, these, these people, main people, coming down on a rope. It's like, who, what Fruit Loop is still up there doing that? <laughs> um, and, it, and it's just this incredible, profound scene. He just prays one more time. You know, and he prays and he prays. And, and like I said, there's complexity there and we have to think about what it means to wage a just war, whether it was a just war, what it means for Christians to carry arms if you believe that, what it means if you um, believe that God has called you to pacifism or, or whatever. There's all those complexities, but right in the centre of that, this, this overriding, lasting impression is capital C, conviction. Conviction. Capital C, conviction. And what I, want, what I wanted to myself is, in day-to-day life, we're not called to go up to Okinawa and rescue 75 people like that. And I can see many kind of evangelical sermons in the future. Just one more, just one. You're going to see it, for sure. Oh, okay. But just imagine that conviction of heart in your workplace, in your home place. Capital C, conviction. The kind of self-sacrificing heart and soul conviction to the Lord Jesus. With all your heart. Just imagine that. Imagine that. I was just incredibly moved and it really made me wonder in 2017, uh, what about us? And then I started thinking, well, what does that level of conviction look like? Have I seen that? And I started thinking about this old lady called Myrtle. Um, She used to be at Community Baptist and we were over there and she had this stroke and it paralysed half her body. So she was in a wheelchair and she had a little electric control thing. And she used to have these little microstrokes. So sometimes... The chairs were all connected, and this one time I was preaching, and she had this little microstroke, and uh, the chair collided with the big row of chairs and started dragging the whole row of chairs. And so I'm trying to preach, and all I can see is this row of chairs and her moving away, and everyone looking at each other going, what do we do? What do we do? Anyway, we stopped preaching, and we went and helped her, and we prayed for her and stuff. But this lady, like, even with her good hand, she'd like raise it and you'd hear her singing and you know, now and again there'd be an amen and I'd go and visit her up at uh, Salem Rest uh, Nursing Home wanting to encourage her and I'd just come away glowing. Like she'd, let me pray for you, Adrian. How are you going? Blah, blah, And then a nurse would come in and she'd be like, oh, she'd go, I've been talking to her about the Lord, Adrian. And that other person over there, I just led to the Lord and see that person there, oh, she's in a bad way. We're going to pray for her. Like, she, was, she, she was in her 80s. She was bedridden. Uh, and I thought, that's, that's conviction. That's capital C conviction. That's, that's with all her heart. Uh, and then I thought about my opera. And, you know, n- none of these people are perfect people, right? This is what's so amazing about it. They were probably selfish at times. Uh, you know, their family members were probably annoyed by them at times. You know? But they had capital C conviction. So my opera, he, he, was, he was in the German side and he loved the Lord his whole life. And he became a Christian, you know, literally in the foxholes uh, when the Russians were advancing and... Now, he loved people right till the end, and, and he got this uh, leukemia, and it would cause this incredible pain in his hands, like these intense like pins and needles or sharp jabbing pains, right? And so, um, in a lot of pain, and, and my mum was telling me a story about how she was taking him home one day after some treatments and whatnot, and they drove past the pub, and he'd been talking to this guy called Cuddle, a German kind of name, Cuddle, at this pub, and as he drove past, he was praying, and then he suddenly just prayed out, I know God, save Cuddle too, <laughs> He was praying for himself and he's praying in his pain for this other person. And, you know, he loved to sing, so he'd always sing really loudly in church and then he couldn't sing anymore because all his throat got cracked and, and parched and whatnot, so he would whistle. He'd whistle hymns. And I'm just thinking, 
You know, to some people that just sounds stupid, but to me it sounds like capital C conviction for his Lord Jesus. You know, you see this Desmond Doss, you see Myrtle, you see my opponents with all their heart. And again, I just wonder in 2017, why, why can't we, each of us, and I know this is a big thing, I know it's a big, why, why, why not? What, what's missing? There's nothing missing. They had the Holy Spirit empowering them. They were way, way better than themselves because of the Holy Spirit within them. And that's why I just think, like Ben was saying, I'm so thankful that on Sunday we can kick the year off and just think about this question. Think about it in God's word. Think about our magnificent Lord. You know, you guys saw the creative sophistication of God's artistry this morning. And it just blows. It doesn't just speak without words. It speaks in such a deep, profound way. And that same God speaks to personally, like we heard from Luke. This is all tied together so well. And I thank Luke, you know, in the letters, these personal little things to people. And the God speaks personally to Desmond Doss, to my Opa, to each of us. And he calls us. And, you know, this with all our heart thing, I don't think, I don't think I'm the only one saying it. We heard about Paul the great church planter, missionary pastor. He was a Christ hater. He turned into a Christ lover after a profound experience. He turned into a man of conviction. He served the Lord his whole life, beatings, shipwrecks. And he says this in a letter to his beloved brothers and sisters in the church. He says, whatever you do, work at it with half your heart. Work at it with all of your heart. Work at it with all of your heart as though working for the Lord. Now, if Paul was in our prayer and share time before, and he shared, and he'd probably come to a little church like ours. Oh, probably, that's a bit arrogant, maybe. But he would come, if he was here, okay, and, and, and I don't know what it would be, but I know that he'd start off with telling us something about some new insight into the Lord, or maybe it's an old one that he wanted to remind about the Lord's grace, God's grace, and then he would say something along, along the lines of, Will I burn this year, with, with all your heart, with all your heart, Barnabas, anyone remember Barnabas, Paul's friend, travelling companion? They had a little bit of an argument, but then they got back together later on. His nickname comes from this idea of being a son of encouragement. So he goes to Antioch. It's a brand new church plant in Antioch. And this is what he says. He encourages them. So I'll just read it. When he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. He was glad and he encourages them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. With all their hearts. Hold nothing back. If Barnabas was in our prayer and share time, he'd be going, Willowburn. This year, with all your heart, with all your heart, my brothers and sisters. You know, Moses to his nation, he's writing his last words in Deuteronomy. After all, you know, the Exodus, all those miracles, the the sea parted, all those plagues, it's amazing deliverance. And he says to his people, if from there, he's already worked out they're going to actually be half-hearted and they're going to fall away. And this is what he says, it's already written in there, their means of coming back. He says, if from there, so if from slavery and being cursed because you didn't follow God, if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you look for him with all your heart, all your heart and all your soul. Then later he will say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Moses would say to Willowburn, with all your heart. And then, of course, Jesus, he's asked, what is the greatest commandment in Matthew? And Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the greatest commandment. The second is like it, love one another. Imagine if just in the, I don't know, the 20 or 30 people that are here, 
this year, with all our heart, we love God, we loved our neighbour, we fulfilled our vision that we feel God has put upon us to love, serve and grow. So love is not just a feeling, it's an attitude and it is action. Imagine that. What would that, what would that look like? It'd be pretty amazing, I reckon. Uh, if Opa was here, if Myrtle was here, if Desmond Doss was here, they'd say the same, with all, with all your heart, Willow Burn. And of course, we've been going through our kingdom series, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. This is just another version of that with all our heart. And I've kind of entitled this one, Seek the King and His Kingdom Heart. Because I want us to realize that it is not in our own heart. Our own heart is so pathetic. It is not in our own strength. It is actually in the strength of God and with his heart. It's it's literally like the Bible doesn't talk about just him kind of, um, you know, grabbing us by the collar and helping us along to do our things. It talks about him giving us our heart, one heart, and I encourage you to go back uh, in the series and look at, you know, seek the king in the kingdom, seek the king in his kingdom attitudes. Ben took us through seeking the king in the parable of the wedding banquet, what blocks us from seeking him. We've still got part two of seeking the king in his kingdom attitudes later on. But just go back and have a bit of a listen to those. But again, it comes back to me. I go, okay, well, what's this look like? What do you reckon it looks like? And what I love about the Bible is with all its precepts and admonitions and letters, you can always find a colourful story that will illustrate. So for those picture book people who like pictures, there's always going to be a picture. You'll Almost always, if there's a principle that's being preached or you're being corrected on it or rebuked or encouraged in it, you'll always find something in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament that will give you a picture of what it looks like. Not just a definition, but a picture. You get it all. So did you know the Bible had its own Hacksaw Ridge? So if you want, we can turn there now. Does anyone know where that might be? From all those Bible scholars out there? An an assault on a ridge uh, over insurmountable odds? Let's turn to 1 Samuel 14, 1 to 16. And we're just going to work our way through this story relatively quickly. But turn there with me. So 1 Samuel 14, 1 to 16. So the context is it's about 2000, sorry, wrong. It's about 1000 BC. It's just before King David in uh, the Bible chronology takes the throne. Saul is still the king and he's got a son. Anyone remember his name? Jonathan. That's my brother's name. Uh, Jonathan. He's the king's son. And the Philistines at this time have military supremacy. The Israelites don't even have weapons, except for the king and the king's son. Uh, There's been a monopoly on metal and and weapons, so the the Israelites are in a bad way. Philistines are a fierce and dangerous people. They're an immoral people. They're a people that would sacrifice their own babies. They would, um, I can't even tell you in polite company the things that they would do. It was terrible. And over and over again, they were clashing with the Israelites. And over and over again, the Israelites were actually tempted to take up their gods. And you'll just see that whole sorry history played out. But in this little moment here, something amazing happens. So I'm just going to read it because it speaks for itself. A detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armour, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. The reason he didn't tell his father is because his father at this time is actually cowering. He's hiding in a hole, as are many of the other soldiers. You can read that previously. Saul was staying at the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men. 
among whom was Ahijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was a son of Ichabod's brother, Ahitu, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. Jonathan didn't tell them because if he told them, they probably would have dissuaded him. Because at this time, they're just scared. They're just afraid. They've got no weapons. They've got no motivation. They've got a form of religion, though. They've got the ark there. But Saul's already proven that his heart, his heart is not fully with the Lord. He's already proven that. But he's still got the kind of, you know, the stuff there, the form there. There's an enemy that would want them wiped out. And their own kingdom rule imposed, the kingdom rule of immorality, hatred, bitterness, baby killing, women dishonouring. And this little thing starts with a king's son, and it's just a, let's go over. Come, let's go over to where the Philistines are. So in verse 4, on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sinar. One cliff stood to the north towards Michmash, the other to the south towards Geba. The other thing I love about the Bible is you can almost always Google the geography. And guess what? Bible scholars believe they have identified where this pass is. In fact, there's a town there that's called Michmash or a derivative thereof. And so they believe that this pass is as shown in the photos here. And now, if you have to understand, sorry, just to talk about the train, it's a bit like being at Duntroon again. I've recreated the, the conflict and the, uh, the terrain. But what do you notice? Like, say you're here and you're trying to get across to this side. What do you notice? What's the problem? There's a big hole. There's a big gorge. Now, if you've got camels or donkeys and things like that, you've got an issue, don't you? So what would happen is the trails would inevitably kind of get to here and then they'd kind of go around like this. All right. So what you've got is pretty much the Israelites on this side hiding and then the Philistines over on this side and they're sweeping up and they've, they've literally got, I think, 6,000 chariots. They're, 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 so in each chariot there's two soldiers, at least maybe three, and then it says foot soldiers they can't even number. So there's 600 Israelites and then uh, Jonathan says, hey, let's just go over to that outpost. It's like poking the hornet's nest. Poking the hornet's nest with like honey and, and, and just, it's, it's crazy. And so just so you understand the geography, what's happened is the Philistines are over here, they have an outpost. There's probably about 100 of them. It doesn't say exactly, but we know that it's in at least the tens. and uh, Sorry, at least you know, 20 or so, probably more, probably about 100. They're just here. And Jonathan and his armor bearer over here. Now what they should have done is come around this side, but they don't. And that's why the Bible spends a lot of time describing the terrain, because it wants you to understand the miracle that's actually about to happen. Okay? So that's the terrain, and again, you could look that up yourself a bit later. So Jonathan says to his young armour-bearer, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Well, he's been holed up for a long time now. He's just gone, you know what? We're going over there. We may not come back, but I know that the Lord can save whether many or by few. This is a man who, over time, has had this conviction build up. And so his armour-bearer, he should have been the voice of sense. Because you saw that terrain. Everyone knows in the military that to go down, this is what uh, Jonathan is proposing. He's proposing go down the side and then come up the other side. Don't go around the other side. Actually, come down the ravine and climb up. You'll see in a minute, it mentions him going up with his hands, having to use his hands because he's climbing. Everyone knows that if you hold the high ground, you hold the advantage, right? You can just drop rocks on people. You can drop your spears. You don't even have to throw them. And with arrows, you take them out. 
So the armor bearer had every reason. He could have looked around. He could have gone and dibber-dobbed to the king. Oh, you should check out what your crazy son's doing, sir. But instead, he had this, this strange supernatural conviction. And this is what he says. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. In the Hebrew, that actually means my soul, my heart is one with you. Where your heart wills, I, my heart will will. Where your heart goes, my heart will go. You are the king's son. The king's son's will is my will now. You are the king's son. The king's son's heart is my heart now. I'm with you all the way. That's what he says. And he doesn't just say it. He does it. So Jonathan says, okay, in verse 8, come on, we'll cross towards the men and let them see us. See us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So Jonathan's not dumb. He's an idealist, but he's not insane kind of thing. He knows that as soon as he goes down, he is going to be in the killing ground, literally. And he has to get across. So he says, if they come to us, we're probably not in a good way. But if they call us up there, that'll be the sign from the Lord that he has given them into our hands. So in verse 11, they both show themselves to the Philistine outpost. And the Philistines, you know, they're high on their own military arrogance and might. Look, say the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of their holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. You know what kind of lesson that would have been? Violent, terrible death. Probably torturous death. So Jonathan says to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. I remember preaching this earlier and I saw it pretty clearly. You know what he's actually said? We've got them now. <laughs> We've got them now. <laughs> We've got them now. The Lord, that's the Lord's sign. That's the Lord's sign of approval. That's the Lord's sign that he is going to give them into our hands. And so he and his armor bearer start climbing up the side of this ravine. And you saw the terrain there. Verse 13, he climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer where? Running back to Saul? No, right behind him, right with him. He was, his, his actions were now um, flowing out of his heart. It wasn't just a heart thing, it was a hands and feet thing. The Philistines just fell before Jonathan. The Bible always just understates things. If this was Hollywood this, 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 or even a, a novelist, it would take probably five pages at least to get it. The Bible just understates it. It doesn't need to make a big deal. It just simply says... Um, they kicked butt, big time. And people died left, right and centre. It was a violent battle. And again, I don't want to glorify war and I don't want to glorify this. Again, there are complexities here about what's happening with God um, uh, commanding the Israelites to fight the Philistines and all the rest of it. But panic strikes the whole army and those in the camp and the field in verse 15, they just panic and they fade away. And that is the turning of the battle. That is the turning of the time where, where, where the Israelites go from being persecuted to actually being greatly victorious. And again, the only reason I bring that out is because if you want to know what all of your heart conviction looks like, look at that and put yourself there and go, hang on, if I had that armor bearer's heart or Jonathan's heart and I had that in day-to-day -day life, what would that be like? I mean, what, what, with all our heart in our workplace, in our home place, what would that be like? It'd be different, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be different? You know, people would look in and they'd go, what is it about you? Like, why, why do you take so much extra time in your job to do this properly when no one else is? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, righteousness. now you have to wonder, don't you, what the armour bearer saw in the king's son. 
to be motivated in such a way. Maybe Jonathan was just one of those charismatic types. Maybe he was uh, kind of just a cool leader. We don't really know. But I want to tell you something. And I just want you to listen to this as we roll down the hill towards the end. Um, there's another Hacksaw Ridge in the Bible, right? And I want to tell you what, would, what, what a, a motivation that we have that the armor bearer just didn't have, that Jonathan didn't have, but it's a motivation that we have. Does anyone know where this is? Okay, again, you can Google the geography. It's a place called, by the locals, uh, Cranion. Cranion. It was well known. It was an enemy stronghold. It was the ultimate stronghold. It was a place where death, suffering and sin and dark spiritual powers reigned supreme. It, it, was, it was the darkest place. And it symbolised, in a sense, the darkness, the destruction, um, the death, the suffering. Everything that's bad was represented in that place. It was a place where, in a sense, it kind of symbolised where we're all going in our own selfishness. Jonathan... Saul's son could not assault that ridge. My opera could not assault that ridge. Desmond Doss, even with his uh, fighting compadres, could not assault that ridge. None of them could. But there was one who could. Do you know what it's called? Hopefully you've guessed by now. It's Golgotha. It's a ridge. And this is the traditional site. There's a few disputed sites you can look up, but this is the one that's their best guess. And you can see um, some of the terrain there. Cranian is Greek for Golgotha. And, you know, you think the Bible stories or the Bible itself is boring. It's not. We're the ones that make it boring when we just kind of flip over it and don't actually think about what the story's saying. Now, you think about this assault 2,000 years ago. You know, this was an assault on an unassailable ridge. Another king's son, another man of conviction, capital C, conviction. Profound, heartfelt conviction. He was the one that Desmond Doss served, the one that Jonathan, son of Saul, served, the one my opera served, the one Myrtle served, the one we all serve. And you know what? He should have probably sent us. That's what most kings do. Most kings, most gods hold the high ground and they demand your worship from the high ground. This king died on the high ground. There have been many kings who would demand your worship from the high ground from up there. There's been only one who died on the high ground, the king's son. And in that moment, the sin that held us and therefore gave power to all those dark spiritual powers that are over us, sin was cracked open. He died on that cross. He assaulted that ridge on his knees, torn open for us, and he took out the enemy powers that held suffering and death as their weapons. And he did it with all his heart. He did it with all his heart. You can't say he didn't. No one can say he didn't. And so what, this is what I want to ask you, my brothers and sisters. In 2017, this is a question we've asked in the Kingdom series. What would uh, Jesus' kingdom rule look like in your workplace? It'd be a loving place. It'd be a patient place. It'd be a gentle place. It'd be a, a gracious place. It'd be a non-judgmental place. There'd be firmness sometimes, but there would be this, this love. They'd know. They'd know they weren't being attacked. They'd know that they were being loved. Just like Desmond Doss, you look at the movie, you'll see many scenes like that. He could have judged them. Instead, he served them. What would Jesus' kingdom righteousness look like? And I want to ask another question now. What would it look like with all our heart? You see it all there. You know, the accountants we've got, teachers, administrators, engineers, musicians, artists, mechanics, and so forth in this church. What would it look like? 
with all your heart. You know, maybe you'd just be praying a lot more like, God save, put someone in. Maybe we'll stop judging judgmentally so much. Criticism just, oh, it's so discouraging. It just happens so much. It's so tiring. It's so wearing. It makes you want to give up. Maybe we'll just stop doing that. Maybe you'll take a big risk this year, a Hacksaw Ridge risk. Something you wouldn't even thought of will come to your attention and it'll be like, and you'll know, you know, this is it. And it'll mean that you're going to have to step out and you're not going to pray, God, grant me success. It's going to be, I think you're calling me to this. I don't even know if you're going to give me success. Just one more. Just, just help me. Just help me. Grant me success is what we often pray. But how about this prayer? Lord, whether I succeed or not, help me to go. I just want to go for you. Amen. And I have a fear in 2017. And it's despite the king's complete, uh, comprehensive sort of Hacksaw Ridge Golgotha love for us, that my heart, my heart is just going to get hard. You know why? There are so many hardening agents in this world. You know, the materialism, we've seen it all now. The, uh, just, just the hardship of just day in, day out, being faithful when so much of the current of the world is steering us away from that. Just the challenge of everyday faithfulness, you know, near-horizon pleasures might make my heart hard. Just getting tired and weary and cranky and going, oh, you, you guys serve me now. I've served you enough. Like, you know, like, uh, okay, I'm afraid of that. And I'm afraid of that for you. I'm afraid that I'll just go through the motions and I'll literally be the walking dead. I'll look alive. I might even still have spiritual words, a form of godliness, just like Saul did. He still had the, the presence in a sense of God there, but he was dead inside. I don't want to be the walking dead. That's my fear. And we're gearing up to communion, but I want us to do something, if you don't mind, is I just want us to bow our heads for a moment. And I'm going to pray, but as I pray, I want you to imagine those who are most precious to you, and they're probably your family, and that's fine. So I want you to imagine them, and I want you to imagine that right now, because when we get into Revelation later again, you're going to see that what Revelation does is it strips back the layers of 3D existence and shows us what's really going on in the spiritual places okay i want you to understand that in the spiritual places right now there is a profound struggle going on even some of the words that i've said today maybe to you they're just words just adrian again with his pep talk and i just want you to understand there are profound consequences and ramifications to turning away from god's very own word that says love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind. We are not perfect people. He will have us on a journey and he will teach us. But you're on a decision trajectory. Every time you make a little decision away from what God has called you to or away from serving or away from loving, you may well be, have changed, may, may well be changing the trajectory of your life downwards. We trip, stumble, fall, but we continue to move on for the Lord Jesus. If we stop or if we just go back as the parable says, and start just drinking and getting crazy and just beating up the servants and living our own life and still saying we're Christians, that's not right. And so what I want you to do is I want you to think about your family and I'm going to pray. Lord, show us now what it looks like for them that are most precious to us if our heart grows increasingly hard over the years and decades to come. 
Lord, show us what it means for them if we fall asleep spiritually. Show us what it looks like if we get hard-hearted instead of whole-hearted. If our heart and soul is steered towards our own agenda and our own selfish desires and everything that the culture of this world would, would want us to engage in, what will that look like for our family, Lord? What will that look like for other families that we're supposed to serve? Show us what it looks like for their future if we live a life that is hard-hearted, not whole-hearted. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, have mercy. O God, make haste to help us. O God, make speed to save us. True and living God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who has always been, who is and will always be, make haste to help us. Make speed to save us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll read a creed. It's a prayer creed. Christ has lived. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ is coming again. And what I pray as we go into communion now is that our hearts will be wholehearted for him.